Hi everyone, this is your host Amy Geckel, and we're here this week with entry 18 of the Eating Disorder Diaries. Y'all, let me tell you, I was blown away and left completely inspired by our guest today. Her name is Cindy Spratt. She is the third Cindy to make an appearance on the Eating Disorder Diaries. Love the name, clearly, but anywho, she is a holistic nutritionist who specializes in eating psychology, eating disorders, body image, and culinary and functional nutrition. She has a fascinating story and one that we can learn a lot from, from growing up with an eating disorder to healing from her eating disorder to then being diagnosed with cancer at the age of 32, having major surgery, opting out of chemo, completely changing her life and lifestyle and finding her purpose, And now today, she's over 13 years cancer-free. Today, we hear this story from her firsthand, and I ask her how she manages people who doubt her lifestyle. I ask her what her advice is for people in a later phase of life, in adulthood that are still stuck and suffering from eating disorders. And we just get to know more about her and what she does in a day-to-day with her clients as a holistic nutritionist. She is a light. And I think that really comes through in today's episode. So let's hear from her in entry 18, from a cancer diagnosis to a calling. Here's Cindy Spratt on eating disorder healing and finding her purpose. Cindy Spratt, welcome to the Eating Disorder Diaries. Thank you so much. I'm very happy that we were able to connect and I've been able to learn about you and about your story. But for those who are new to you, could you just summarize what is your story? Um, My story, I guess, began at a really young age, probably my young teens, preteen years. I was a competitive gymnast for uh, almost a decade. And then when I left gymnastics, um, no body changes and just that early adolescent time of life led me down a road that really began with a lot of body criticism and um, all those things that happens, lack of self-esteem, lack of self-confidence, etc. And I kind of turned to controlling my food or lack of food. And that led me down a road of starting to binge and purge. And that lasted me many, many years. I mean, well into probably my late 20s, on and off, up and down as it as it goes. And then I kind of just grew up. I got pregnant and that became a really big priority for me. And I think I was already edging my way out of the eating disorder at that time. And after my pregnancy, I actually ended up um, having a big cancer scare at a mass in my intestines that I had removed. And that led me 
kind of to a place of really evaluating my life and also the health of my body and the journey that I had had with the eating disorder and how that may or may not have been connected to um, the cancer formation in my bowels. And then I started to heal and I went down that path of getting a lot of support and also really learning um, myself, my husband and myself really learning and then starting down a new path with a career profession of um, holistic nutrition. And then, um, you know, the, the short version is specializing in eating disorder recovery and being the help that I feel I really could have used when I was younger and um, turning something that was really so difficult and devastating for me into something beautiful and powerful and that I can share with the world from a genuine place. Hmm. Yeah, I, I was going to say that, you know, it's never like one is thankful for cancer, but it does seem like your life completely changed after your cancer diagnosis and you were already on what it it seems like you were already on the road to recovery before your cancer diagnosis but you really would you say leveled it up once you were diagnosed and and wanted to heal when you started changing your lifestyle after getting diagnosed with cancer and and trying to heal yourself from the inside out what was your aha moment in making you realize you're really onto something with the the changes that you were making? There was lots of aha moments. And, you know, when you have a really big surgery and invasion on the body, um, you do a lot, you do a lot of lying around and you do a lot of um, thinking and reflecting. And um, a big part of my recovery post-surgery actually was to see a local healer here who is a Chinese medicine doctor and um, China, uh, cranial sacral practitioner. And her and I worked together on healing the actual, you know, physical invasion with regards to the surgery, but that healing really evoked a lot of emotion in me. And I would say, you know, and I used to leave her sessions and just like ball my eyes out in my car and have to pull it over and, and stop on the highway and just like have a huge release. And that, you know, I think that it had happened a couple of times, but that was a really big, th those were really big shifts for me. And I realized my body was holding on to such grief and such shame and embarrassment and loss and all of those big things that um was stuck in my body and she was helping me start to let it go and that and the letting go really pushed me and enabled me to um to really start to create something different with my life and, and to learn to love that story instead of um, feeling ashamed about it. And so I think, you know, it was one of them anyway, that experience. That's incredible and very powerful. And you mentioned these themes of shame and really the shame being stuck in your body that I think is so prevalent in so many people who are suffering and, and haven't been able to get to the next level in their healing because they're just stuck. They literally have to work through things that 
are still stuck in their body. And I think in my own eating disorder recovery journey, I, it was not linear for me. And I've talked about this before that I would think I was okay, but I hadn't done really any internal work and maybe I wouldn't have any behaviors for years. And then all of a sudden it would come back and I would have behaviors and I would be very alarmed, but I hadn't done any trauma work or really gone to therapy and committed to myself. And I still had a lot of pent up trauma stuck in my body that I used my eating disorder behaviors to numb. And I would find that particularly in stressful events in my life, the eating disorder would come back, whether a breakup or a move or something like that, just a lot of things happening in life. And I would use the eating disorder to cope. Did anything like that happen when you were diagnosed with cancer? Like, did you have such a scare that you were thinking, oh, I might have to go back to these behaviors to cope or, or where were you at in your healing journey at that point? You're listening to entry 18 of the Eating Disorder Diaries with Amy Geckel featuring Cindy Spratt. Stay tuned for Cindy's answer and we'll be back right after this break. On the outside, you have it all together. You're successful. You seem happy. But what your friends and family don't see is that you're living in the vicious cycle of bulimia. You know something needs to change. Your health depends on it. But you just don't know where to start. That's where conquering bulimia comes in. It's a -a one-of-a-kind online recovery course brought to you by certified eating disorder coaches Sarah Lee and Mary Elizabeth. They know exactly what you're going through. They've both recovered from bulimia and have teamed up with leading experts to create an online course with over 70 short videos to jumpstart your recovery. Conquering Bulimia is private and self-paced, filled with personal stories and coaching tips that will teach you how to change your behaviors for good. And it's affordable offered at an incredible discount of 60% of the cost of one-on-one coaching. Break free from bulimia on your terms and start living the life of peace you deserve at conqueringbulimia.com. Welcome back to entry 18 of the Eating Disorder Diaries. I was at such a low place initially. There was a lot of tears, you know, and there was a lot of like, it's like that my world just really kind of crumbled apart, fell apart. And I, I actually didn't really turn to the eating disorder at that time because I was instead like so motivated to get myself up and out of that low that I just knew, like I knew on such a visceral internal level that it, this was like, that was it. Like it was time and I need to create, I needed to create something that I could feel great about and do something meaningful with my life and not be held back and anchored to that eating disorder anymore. Did, you know, did it not rear its head every now and again? For sure. I mean, I think, you know, we're never totally away from it and and that's okay. But that kind of came, I think, during the ups and lows of, you know, my climb out of uh, the darkness, uh, so to speak. But it was never, it never came back to the degree that it was before I was just, I had just reached that place where I was done. That's really good to hear. I, I 
imagine because you were already on your healing journey before that point, you had learned more about yourself, learned more about how to heal. So it made it a little easier. Although I, I know that you went through hell. So kudos to you for charging through. I'm so happy that you took this diagnosis and, and just everything in your environment as motivation to get better rather than slipping back into that space. And I want to really learn more about what changes you made after the cancer diagnosis and getting better, because it seems like you made so many significant lifestyle changes from your diet to just the way you approached life. Can you tell me a little bit more about specific changes you made? Sure. Yeah. It definitely began with diet as I uh, really started to do my nutrition training. It began with diet and then it really uh, kind of exploded into all aspects of our lives. So it began with diet and then we really moved into eradicating our house of carcinogens. So I I actually had the metal removed from my mouth. I had my belly button ring removed. We changed over all our plastics in our house to glass. Um, You know, we changed our mattress. Like as we learned, which can be really overwhelming just for someone to hear, they might be like, oh my God, that sounds like so much. But I was really just in it. And I was feeling like, okay, there's cancer causing ingredients everywhere. And I wanted what I can control is what's in my house and what we're eating. And so that was a big part of it. And then I I I returned to athleticism, which for me. And I don't think that that's the answer for everybody, but because I was a competitive gymnast, that was a really healing part for me. I kind of, my body loves athletics and I didn't, I I had spent a long time away from it, you know, as you are in, you know, just trying to stay thin, you're not necessarily, I mean, I think the journey is different for everyone, but not necessarily strength training and, and, you know, working on your endurance, et cetera. And so I returned to athleticism in a really loving way, which was important. And uh, although I still run some races and I was, I began to run some races at the time, I learned quickly that I just I just wanted to cross the finish line. I didn't want it. I didn't care about my time. I didn't care about placement. I just wanted the gratification of setting a goal and crossing the finish line. And so that was a big part. And then I started to dance as well, which was when I finished gymnastics, I I went into the dance program. I danced a lot as a kid and a local woman here is running some adult classes. And I, I still do that now. It's been, I don't know how many years, 14 years or something. And that was really healing for me as well, to be able to be in a dance class, to be on a dance floor, looking at a gigantic mirror in a way where you're like, oh, this is kind of triggering and healing at the same time, because the trigger can help you kind of tap into your old business and be like, okay, I see you. I I can feel it. I know that's happening. And yet I am a strong powerful human with different goals. And like, I just want to move in a different direction. And that's more important to me, you know, so that was also really big part of it. 
there was a lot of pieces and I think rebuilding, like building my business and my work in this field has also been and continues to be very therapeutic for me, being able to do something where I can give back and feel really good about what I offer. That's also been a really big part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're leaning into your purpose and you leaning into athleticism as well reminds me of something that helped me on my healing journey because I've always relied on that to a certain extent as well. And I think I've been really loving with my body and my journey with working out. I actually just completed my second ever half marathon, which was fun. And I'm not too worried about um, my timing, but I do like to beat myself year over year. So, so far I, I, I did better this year, but I made it to the finish line, but I did want to circle back on the ways that you were able to start kind of eliminating carcinogens in your life, because I think that's really interesting. And for me, I want to be aware of it, but I'm also, like you said, it it just seems like there's so much, like, I'm pretty sure like every single product in my house, I can look at it and pinpoint something that's a carcinogen, even things I'm putting on my skin or eating or whatever it is. And I do like to eat really healthy, but it's a lot. And I commend you for being able to do that. And that's something that I want to start to get better at. I also feel like it's so incredible that you were actually able to heal from cancer without undergoing chemo. Yeah. I mean, I had surgeries, so the cancer was removed Mm. from my body. So, you know, did I conquer cancer? I don't know. I don't know if you can say that, Um, but chemotherapy was strongly recommended and I turned that down post-surgery. That's amazing because you it seems like you were able to just completely change your health by making these changes at that point. And I've got to imagine there are people who are just doubters with, I'm, I'm going to continue to use whatever products I use. I'm going to do what the doctors tell me to do with undergoing chemo. What do you have to say to doubters that I'm sure you've experienced in your life? I mean, I think it's important that everybody have their own individual journey and choose a path that feels like it aligns with their belief systems. For me, it didn't make sense to do the chemotherapy because I, as far as we knew, the cancer had been removed from the body. And, you know, the doctors say, well, it it could come back. And by doing a round of cancer, a couple of rounds of of chemotherapy, sorry, you, you know, increase your chances of having it not recur. But it just, because I was studying so vigilantly during that time, it, it just didn't make sense to me. What made more sense to me and aligned more with who I am and the direction I wanted to go in my life. And also being 32 and having, you know, a toddler at home, I decided, and it took some time for me to kind of let go of the anxiety around it, but I decided to uh, take that route instead because I felt like if I do, if I live my life every single day in a way that doesn't really allow cancer cells to grow in my body, I feel like that's much more powerful than poisoning it and wiping out the immune system and basically taking away all its vitality in order to build back up. So for me, it just made a lot more sense 
And it doesn't mean that it has to make sense for everybody. It's not necessarily the right choice for everybody. And everybody has a different relationship with the medical system. And that's, I totally respect that. I do very strongly believe that if we created environment in the in the body that is not conducive to cancer growth, cancer cannot grow. So if you understand you know, some of the pathology around cancer cell growth, you understand that if you make if you create a certain kind of environment that does not feed the cancer cells, they do not conquer and divide and thrive in the way that they would in a certain kind of environment that promotes cancer cell growth. Starting with diet, eating healthy, making sure that you're living a clean lifestyle. Yeah, and I mean it it overflows into everything. Are you if you're happy, if your your environment changes within, if you're happy, if you have a good relationship with your partner, if you have laughter in your life, if you have joy, if you have passion, and but also definitely, of course, what you're eating, how much toxicity you're exposed to on a regular basis, you know, things like being mindful of chemicals, of course, and powerful substances that we know influence the livelihood of the cancer cells, like sugar, for instance. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, that's interesting that you say that. And then you also bring up just your livelihood in general and happiness, because I think back to um, a relationship that I, that I was in previously, and I've talked about this before, but this wasn't the right relationship for me. And I was very stressed because my entire body knew that it was not the right relationship for me, but I stayed. Um, and my eating disorder was pretty bad at that point. My digestion was off. Everything was off in my body. So I think that that is important to note that, you know, aside from making sure that you're treating your body with kindness, you're really leaning into yourself, being authentic to yourself, not lying to yourself. I think a lot of my eating disorder was me lying to myself for a really long time. Yeah. Um, and I also like that you said, everyone's on their own journey. Everyone has their own healing journey, no matter what it is. So I think that's important to stress. So thank you for emphasizing that. Some of my listeners have written in who are still suffering with eating disorders later on in life. And I talked a lot about, I suffered a lot in college. So I was more of a young adult at the thick of my eating disorder. Although I had it on and off, I had suffered from bulimia on and off for about 16 years. What advice do you have for someone who is in their 30s or in their 40s and is still just stuck with their eating disorder who feels like, oh my gosh, it's so late in life. Like I just am riding it out now. What would you say to them? The journey to recovery really has to come from within authentically. It can't come from the outside. So it, even if you sit down with a practitioner who's very skilled in eating disorder recovery, if if you don't want to recover, nothing's going to work. And so the most important part is to tap in to your deep self and figure out what your priorities are, where you want to go with your life. And really start figuring out who you are because we lose ourselves to the eating disorder. Whether you're at a young child, it's more prevalent as a young child because we don't know who we are yet. When we're older, we have a better sense for who we are. 
But when the eating disorder is taking up so much space in our lives, we have a tendency to really lose ourselves to that eating disorder and we forget who we are. And part of finding our way to recovery is starting to remember who we really are. You know what? I'll ask my clients this all the time. Like what lights you up? Like what makes you just like want to jump and yell and makes your skin tingle? Like what are those things? Oh, well, you know, it's music or it's this or it's that. And usually those clients are not doing those things. And so if you're stuck in the still in the hold of an eating disorder, a great place to start is not actually with the eating disorder itself or with food. It's more of figuring out who you are, what you really want in life. What are the things that make you tick? What are the things that make you unique, beautiful, radiant? And start tapping into those because once we start creating more space for the things that make us, that fill us up and make us feel awesome, it we actually start naturally squeezing out the eating disorder. And so learning about food and, you know, tapping into all of those things, you know, and using techniques and tools is really important as well. But I feel as though this approach I see work all the time because we, there's just no room for an eating disorder if you are living to a to a great capacity. I don't want to say your best life because it's I don't really necessarily love that term, but living to your what your heart's content, what your soul wants, right? There's just not a lot of room for an eating disorder anymore. And it's important, again, it is important to learn, you know, how to cope and use the strategies and learn about good food and all of that. It's important as well. But that is a really great place to start, especially for people who are really scared and overwhelmed and they've been locked into it for so long. I feel like that is a nice kind of new way to maybe come at it. That's a really beautiful way to put that. And that's not something that I've heard before. So I sincerely appreciate you sharing that. I recently had a conversation with a nutritionist and I asked her, what are some side effects that you've seen from your clients who are on their healing journey and are starting to heal? And something that stood out to me that she said was different parts of your personality start to shine through that you didn't meet before. Because like you said, we lose ourselves to the eating disorders and we aren't our true authentic selves at that point. So I love that you're emphasizing by leaning in to what you're passionate about, you can really start to heal from the ground up. And I, it took me a long time to really lean into what I loved, but I always think I had something in the back of my head telling me to help people with eating disorders, but I would ignore it because I had no idea what to do. Um, you know, working in corporate America, whatever. Um, so I would be stuck on, you know, what, what am I passionate about? I don't know. I don't know. I would ignore anything in the back of my head telling me help people with eating disorders. Cause I don't know what to do with that. And so since finally leaning into the podcast, it's been really special. And I do think I've in my healing journey met totally other sides of myself as well. Um, 
How do you suggest that your clients do lean in to find their passion if they're kind of stuck like me? Or do you find that most people, like you mentioned the example of music, most people kind of know what their passions are? Yeah, I I don't know if I would say most people. I would say uh, some do and some need a little help because they've either forgotten or they've just stepped so far away from it or or like you say maybe it, they don't even know what it is yet mm-hmm. no. um and so journal work of course is a beautiful place for that i will also ask like i mentioned i'll ask them like what were things that really they were into as children because when we're in when we're children we are very uninhibited by you know, the difficulties of the world and life is a lot simpler. And so some of our passionate things will shine through when we're kids and then we forget, they, they, we forget about them. Um, and sometimes I really have to yank it out of my client. Like, do you draw? Do you like (laughs) colors? Do you like shopping? You know, like, do you like, um, fashion? You know, and one of my kind of favorite um, tasks that I gave a client who told me, yeah, like, I really do like to paint, but I just haven't done it in a long time. And I gave her uh, the homework suggestion of um, painting something for her kitchen that symbolized her healing from the eating disorder because she is an adult and she has young kids and she got her kids to help her as well. And so they created this beautiful, she sent me a picture of it. It was gorgeous. And it was like, you know, very nature themed and it had a couple words built into it. And it was just, it makes me emotional just thinking about it because it was just such a beautiful thing. And she still paints. And she thanks me for that all the time. And it wasn't something I really did. It was just she mentioned. So I latched on to it. And so sometimes, I mean, sometimes we need a little help. And one of the things to a good practice that I've used a few times is getting my clients to ask their friends what are their, what are not necessarily what are their biggest strengths, but like, what do they know? What do their friends notice that they're very passionate about? Because we often, we need it mirrored back at ourselves. We don't always know it's easier for other people to see sometimes. Oh yeah. That's, that's a great suggestion. And I love the story about your client and painting and expressing herself. And you mentioned that journaling really kind of as an outlet as well. And that's my listeners. Now I'm an avid journaler. I would probably credit that as one of my, the number one tool in my recovery. I journal every single day and, um, journaling is how I expressed myself and found my passion. I actually, a year ago, uh, woke up one morning and just wrote the introduction to what would become the first episode in this podcast. So I think that, that, that tool is is really, really helpful. And I just wanted to emphasize that. I do have a few more rapid fire questions for you. Tell me about more of your day-to-day. So you are a woman of many hats, a registered holistic nutritionist, eating psychology counselor. What else are you doing and what's a day in the life look like? Ah, um, I love this question. I, yeah, I get up really early. 
I am an early bird. I go to bed very early as well. I'm often in bed by eight or eight thirty. My fifteen year old son laughs at me, and that's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, I usually do a little bit of online work first thing in the morning. And I have a puppy right now, so I have to look after her. And uh, then I will do either I go for a run or I do these online workshop workouts that I love. I usually have some kind of movement that I do in the morning. Then I get my kid off to school, have a smoothie or an, or an egg and some kimchi. That's kind of my go-to. Um, and then I, most days I'm working. So I see a fair amount of clients throughout a week. Uh, I usually am working on some kind of um, a side project as well. So I, I host regular retreats. I offer online programs. I offer in-person workshops. So there's usually some other work that's infiltrating what I'm doing with my work hours and doing a lot of my own marketing, which is a, you know, a big one and managing the website, <laughs> all of that stuff, like so much. Uh, but I do work predominantly from home. So then usually I break for lunch. I walk my dogs usually for an hour or something in the middle of the day, which has, which I absolutely find I need. If I miss it, I, I really, it just changes my whole day. And then I work again for a few more hours and collect my kid three or four o'clock. And sometimes I have evening uh, clients and oftentimes I am also, I also go to dance classes in the evenings. I also teach a dance class. So one night a week I do that as well. And then we have dinner together. I always, almost always we're having dinner together. And then I like to read my novel and sometimes walk the dogs again or hang out with my husband. And like I said, I'm in bed with my novel early every night. That's just my jam. That's how I like things. <laughs> that sounds like honestly an ideal day to me. And also I'm an early bird as well. So anytime I'm in bed by eight, something is a good night for me. Yeah. Uh, but you're seeing clients, right? So what type of clients are you seeing? What's an ideal candidate for a client that would see you? Yeah, I I work with clients of all kinds, which I actually really love. And so I, you know, currently I have a handful of clients that I'm working with on either recovering from eating disorders or dysfunctional eating tendencies and people who just are looking for, you know, some guidance to develop good habits around food. So I, I generally have a lot of clients in that area, either like deep in an eating disorder or in the adult realm, just looking to kind of really pull out of it completely. And then I work with clients on digestive disorders um, or digestive health, hormone health, rebalancing. Sometimes I work with cancer recovery clients or autoimmune conditions. So it's kind of a variety. Um, even though I've I've sort of specialized in dysfunctional eating, I also again like wear a lot of hats. And I find that I like that. I it keeps me uh, well educated in the field of nutrition if I have a diversity of different clients that I'm working with. And it keeps my job really interesting. What about what's an ideal day of eating look like for you? I know you mentioned an egg and kimchi or smoothie, which sounds delicious. What about like lunch and dinner? It seems like you're cooking from home a lot. So for people who are maybe in a rut with cooking, what's some inspiration? I love this question. Um, I 
have a very diversified diet. I like it that way because I want to um, keep my system on its toes. And also I know that, you know, the rainbow foods, like the more diversity we have in the diet, the more nutrients you're actually going to be bringing in. But some of my favorite things, yeah, I love a smoothie in the morning, but I also really love a warm egg sometimes on you know, arugula and I eat lots of fermented foods. I, it's really, I'm trying to keep my digestive system happy. And also I've had a surgery, so it's, it's, it's a sensitive system. So I need to keep, you know, giving it all the good things all the time. Um, and then I, some days I have a snack in between breakfast and lunch. Some days I don't, I really like to listen to my body and listen to my intuition around that. And then lunch is almost always a big salad. We just keep greens going in the house at all times. I actually just keep a bowl of salad. I have one of those snaplets and, and we just kind of top it up. And every once in a while, I wash it out, of course, when stuff gets soggy. And then I like to add in, you know, whatever I've got. So sometimes I have leftover roasted veggies or leftover salmon, or sometimes I will, will add nuts, seeds, olives, that kind of thing. I'm, I love a big bowl salad. Sometimes there's leftover rice as well. So I'll do that as well. And sometimes I'll have soup at lunch too, especially on a cold day and, or if it, I just have it. Um, so that's a good one. And dinners. Yeah. I do. We just love all kinds of things for dinners. I am now that we're moving into later fall, more winter weather. I definitely like really love a good curry or a curried style soup or stew. I eat predominantly vegan, like a lot of lentils and beans and tofu and things like that. Cause it just makes my body feel very good and um, heavy on the veggies. And I'm also a really big fan of like the one pot, throw it all in, add a lot of delicious flavor, lots of garlic, lots of ginger, lots of onions and um, coconut milk, you know, that kind of business. Like that's probably one of my favorite things that I go to, especially this time of year. And also those kinds of meals, they carry on, you know, they carry forward. And so I talk to my clients about that all the time because people get jammed up in the kitchen. They're like, I don't want to be in the kitchen all the time. And I'm tired of the stuff that I'm making. So the more you can spend a little extra time one night making something larger, you know, the more you make the rest of your week a little bit easier. So I'm a big fan of that too. Oh, we've been into the one pot meals so much this season. Right now it's it's chilly season over here for us. So we have chili in every single Tupperware in our fridge right now, but we're loving the non-mess meals. I just made chicken noodle soup for myself and it's hitting the spot lately. And, you know, we're approaching colder weather too, even though this week in Denver, it's all 80 degrees, which mm. is throwing me off, but that's okay. Um, so, okay. Love that. And also I'm just now craving a tofu curry. I am going to need that in my life very soon. I would say I have one final rapid fire question and I know these have not really been rapid fire, but I love getting to hear your answers. What overall, because you have been full of advice so far, but what is, would you consider the best piece of advice uh, you have for someone who doesn't know where to get started in their eating disorder recovery? Tap into your intuition. Yeah. Uh, drop down into a deeper place. And maybe that means attending a yoga class or a meditation weekend 
or getting an app on your phone, anything that that gets you to tap into your deeper self, bring it out out of the head, into the heart, into the the seat of your body, into your abdomen, and listen to the deeper knowing. We we forget that we have a deeper wisdom within us. We all have it. And that is where a lot of the answers are. And that is where the motivation often comes to take the first few steps forward. I really agree with that. I One word that we've used a lot is authenticity and, and being authentic with yourself. And I think that really resonates with your answer because I think the more authentic that you are with yourself, the more you're leaning in to what your brain's telling you, the the more you're going to be meeting your true self. So I really appreciate that. That's the end of my rapid fire. We are going to get into the next segment. For segment number two, this is a short final segment. I ask the same questions each episode, or I answer them myself if it's solo episode. Um, but essentially the two questions are, we'll start with recommendations. I love this question because it just gives me a chance to know what everyone I'm talking to is loving, whether it's a book you're reading. It seems like you're reading almost every night, which is amazing. Um, or a song you're listening to, a podcast, you like anything that you love in life. It doesn't have to do with eating disorder recovery, but a lot of the times I notice that it does just because that's what we're talking about. So what types of recommendations do you have? I love the message, the messages of Brené Brown. Love her. She, Mm -hmm. her teachings really align with the work that I do. And I return back to her books time and time again to help my clients, but also as recommendations for my clients, the gifts of imperfection, beautiful book. That's one of the ones I love the most. Um, Dare to, what's that one? Dare Um, to lead. Lead. Yeah. There's a few and I love her stuff. And she like, you, I don't, feel like you necessarily have to read it cover to cover. You can kind of pick your way through it and just find a sentence or two and just like, mm, let it land, bring it into your heart, figure out where that works for you. You know, another thing that I really love that's like kind of a bit hippie, but I also really love it are self-expansion cards like decks mm-hmm. that are, you know, you flip a card and it tells you something leads you in a, in a way of self-love or in a way of self-reflection. So I really like those as well. And I like to, I like to offer that people bring those to their journal so they can, you know, have a deck ongoing at all times and then just kind of open it up wherever they feel, look at the card for the day and apply it to their day and, or write about it in their journal and see where that lands with them. So that's a great one as well. I really like that because I, find that when I write something down, the more I absorb it throughout my day. So in the mornings, I like to meditate and then I will journal. And a lot of the times I'm journaling just to myself and, you know, writing a little letter to myself for the day. 
but then I'll also try to reflect on the meditation. And a lot of the times I'm doing a guided meditation. So I'll take away a message that I learned from it. And then 4 p.m. rolls around that day and I'm feeling frustrated and I remember that message and it's easier when I write it down and it really does absorb more. So I really like the idea of doing that and I need to check out more of Renee Brown in general. So thanks for that recommendation. But I also think just in my journal, that's where I've adopted such a love for myself and a friendship with myself. And I can confidently say I'll never stop journaling. And one of the things that I've taken away is that I need to be telling myself that I love myself. I need to remind myself every day that there are good things that I'm doing because for so many years I was stuck and I wasn't being authentic with myself. So I like to end the show with the guest saying something that they love and appreciate about themselves just as a show of more self-love in general. So what do you think about that? I, I love that uh, I emanate kindness and compassion and I lead with it. It does come naturally to me and I have trained myself to lead with that. And I feel like I really represent that well. I get feedback a lot of the time from my clients that really love that about me and, um, I, I really love that about myself. I can see it shaping my son and who he is, right? It really like it overflows into everything in my life. And I really appreciate that about myself. I also appreciate how passionate I am. It's like the drive that keeps me in this work. It's the drive that gets me up at 5 a.m. It's like I'm just like passionate about living a really awesome life. And I love that about myself. I think that your kindness and passion comes through the screen. It it really does. I love that you recognize that. I think that this has been such a great conversation. You are so inspiring and I've taken away so many tidbits that will be helpful for not only me, but this audience and whoever listens to it. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and, and getting to meet you. I think it was a huge pleasure of mine. Thanks so much, Amy. I feel the same way about you. Listening back to and editing this episode made me appreciate Cindy even more than when we initially talked. She just had so many words of wisdom that I had never even thought about before. She's amazing. You can follow her on Instagram at Cindy Spratt Nutrition, which I will link in the show notes along with her website. Cindy, we really appreciate you. You were an honor to have on the show. All right, everyone, we have four more episodes left of the season. We'll be wrapping it up at the end of this year and taking a brief hiatus before season two. As always, thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you in two weeks. This podcast was written and produced by me, Amy Geckle, with music from Coma Media. If you want someone to talk to, you can talk to me. DM me on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Diaries or email me. My email's in the show notes as well. Please take care of yourselves and I'll talk to you in the next episode.